Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 246, being recorded on Thursday, November 19th, 2020. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Jason, it's getting to be holiday, and I don't know about you, but I am constantly being pummeled with... uh, Carrier pigeons, direct messages, tweets, LinkedIn's, Friendsters, just messages from every possible uh, venue. And guess what they're asking? They are asking you to buy early from their store. No, that yes, I am getting those. But what I'm getting from our listeners are people saying, Scott, what can I get? You you guys have given us so much pleasure over the year through this podcast. What can we do in return? And my answer is all Jason and I want for the holidays this year is your five-star review. So if you could hit pause real quick, and this is best in your app that you're using. Um, if you're on the iPhone, it's pretty simple. You kind of need to do it in the podcast app. Go leave that five-star review. That would uh, that would be really great, and that would make our year for us here at the Jason Scott Show. We'd really appreciate that. So whatever app you're in, go in there. Leave us that five-star review. That really helps us a lot uh, and keeps us at the very tippy top of the e-commerce podcast realm. So we would really appreciate that. So, uh, all right. Welcome back. Hopefully you did pause and leave us that five-star review. We appreciate it. Jason, we are... T minus seven days until Turkey Day. And this is the time of the year where we really start to feel it. You know, you kind of get that nervous energy uh, here in the commerce, retail, e-commerce world. Um, Everyone holds their breaths and they've been working all year planning for this. They've got all the servers lined up, all the clouds clouding and just hoping that the next 20 days are super awesome, but they're also scary for everybody. So, um, And then this year with COVID, everything is going to be cranked up to an 11. We've talked a lot about Shipmageddon. We're going to do an update on that. So we thought uh, in today's show we would kind of stay on news because there is a lot going on. And first of all, I thought we could hit some of the really interesting Amazon news. Amazon News. Your margin is their opportunity. So, Jason, you have, um, I think you've been, I can't remember, where, uh, it's been almost a year now. I, I can't remember if you predicted this, but you've been really kind of keeping an eye on Amazon's aspirations to get into the pharmacy world. And if I remember, they bought that uh, pill company, was at PillPack, uh, and then there was some news this week. Update us on what happened and, and what you're thinking. What's your what's your point of view? Is it time to stop going to Walgreens and CVS? Yeah. Uh, so side note, I was actually revisiting that prediction show recently because I was trying to cheat and edit in that uh, I predicted a global pandemic. Oh, that's not fair. No cheating. 
No, I, I would never cheat. But if you happen to notice it there, I must have, in fact, predicted it. Um, the, uh, but yeah, so we, we've talked a lot about this. We've talked a lot about Amazon and Walmart's general aspirations around healthcare. Um, and for sure, I think for the last several years, I can't even remember which year we first predicted it, but uh, like we predicted in the past that Amazon would get into pharmacy. Um, and, and we, we've seen sort of three previous healthcare actions. Uh, they actually applied for and received a number of their own pharmacy licenses. So you have to, to be a pharmacy, you have to be licensed in every state. They got licensed in a bunch of states for medical equipment. So that's not actually the, the the medications that's things like um pulse ox monitors and glucose meters and and orthopedic equipment and prescribed uh, equipment that customers might want to buy so so they kind of did their first step in getting some pharmacy licenses a lot of us speculated that that could be a precursor to getting a, a medical dispensing pharmacy license so then they bought PillPack, which is a an online pharmacy that already had a bunch of pharmacy licenses. So they kind of got, if memory serves, something like half the country covered just by buying PillPack. And for listeners that aren't familiar, PillPack has kind of a unique value prop. Um, they're a, a mail-order pharmacy that mail your, your prescriptions to you. But instead of giving you all 60 of your uh, doses of Lipitor in a bottle, um, they individually package uh, your pills for each day. So if you're taking three chronic medications, you'd get a little plastic uh, vacuum sealed bag with the three pills you need to take each day. So make it make it super easy to take each day's thing. Um, and so they bought PillPack. They've been continuing to operate PillPack. They, they've even done some pretty extensive marketing and advertising for PillPack. Um, and then right around the beginning of this year, they, they bought a... Um, medical technology company that does like um uh telemedicine uh, uh medical triage it's kind of like artificial intelligence for what are your symptoms and i'll tell you what likely is wrong with you kind of stuff um and then they've used a lot of those technologies to roll out some some healthcare clinics but the healthcare clinics are not for the general public at the moment therefore amazon employs in specific uh cities like they've opened a number of clinics near near uh some of the fcs and they've opened a clinic near their corporate headquarters in seattle and they i think they even developed their own covid testing capability that they use in those clinics to test employees yeah uh when we went in our deep dive i remember them saying they were doing you know tens of thousands of daily testing so so pretty pretty substantial just internal testing effort which was pretty interesting yeah so that's all the history of amazon in healthcare and what we've been waiting for is when do they do something that strikes fear into Walgreens and CVS? Um, and the answer is probably this week. Yeah. Yeah, I saw the stock. Uh, I'm not a big tracker of those stocks, but I saw CVS was down from like the mid-70s to the mid-60s, so kind of a 10% drop, and I imagine Walgreens was was similar. Yeah, and I and I, I think they one or both of them had earnings calls recently, and um, – uh, somewhat counterintuitively, and maybe sometime we'll get into this, um, the, those pharmacies are not um, beneficiary, major beneficiaries of COVID. In fact, like their comps are down. Um, so, so they already were kind of a little soft. And then this Amazon announcement, they all had an impact. Um, 
we're still trying to figure all the details out. But A, so Amazon has announced that you can now, uh, they're a nationwide pharmacy and you can buy uh, your your prescriptions from Amazon. And you're not, uh, I, my, my understanding is you can now get like a normal prescription from Amazon. It doesn't have to be the pill pack configuration. Um, and it's available nationwide. Uh, but what they really focused on, they didn't give a lot of details about that, about how you, you would order your, your traditional prescriptions, uh, if you had insurance, because what they really focused on is they had done a, a partnership, um, with, uh, I, I think the company is called, uh, Insider RX, um, to dispense prescriptions to people that don't have insurance and give them the best possible price. So it feels like the, this first segment that they're targeting for their kind of nationwide uh, pharmacy offering are uninsured customers or underinsured customers um, and uh, help them get affordable access to a, a prescription um, outside of the insurance system. Um, and there's a variety of reasons they're probably doing that. It turns out there's um, a lot of exclusive deals in the insurance networks. And so it's probably really hard for Amazon to say, hey, Scott, order your prescriptions from me and we'll submit it to whoever your insurance is and we'll get reimbursed. Do you think when I go to my doctor soon, I'll be, you know, they always say, what's your favorite drugstore? I'll be able to say Amazon Pharmacy and then that'll connect those things or so is that, that, that is it, it's unclear because here here's going to be the problem say you have some new medical problem and the doctor wants to prescribe some a one-time thing for you um yeah. they're gonna they're gonna write the script and uh, uh most insurance company uh your insurance company is gonna pay no matter where you fill it so they your doctor can probably send that to amazon and a big part of this amazon offering is two-day delivery so if it's uh, if it's something you need, you know, that you can start taking two days from now, that could totally work. Um, often when the doctor writes a prescription for some acute problem in the office, you're going to stop on your way home from the doctor's office to fill that prescription. Yeah. And, and so Amazon's not super competitive at that. Um, but in most cases, that first prescription, the most, uh, credible insurance companies are obligated to, to compensate the, the dispenser for that. So there's not a lot of controversy about that. What gets controversial is uh, if you have some chronic condition that means you're going to take some medication for the rest of your life, like the most popular of which is like a statin for high cholesterol, right? Um, so a lot of insurance companies now say, hey, we don't want you to buy that every 30 days from a retail pharmacy and pay the highest price. We want you to use our pharmacy and they're going to send you a 90 day supply and we'll only cover this under insurance if you get it from us. Got it. And so the now those mail order pharmacies are often operated by Rite Aid and CVS and Walgreens. So they all they all have, you know, CVS Caremark, for example, um, that that do that mail order on behalf of insurance companies. But there's a lot of exclusives there. And that's the the part of the the pharmacy business that I I don't know for a fact, but I would imagine is harder for Amazon to crack because they they would literally have to go to these these insurers and get them to to um, accept Amazon as a dispensary and uh, they'd have to negotiate pricing rates and they probably already have an exclusive pr uh, deal with another provider. Um, so if you're Amazon and you're trying to grow in pharmacy. You'd go, oh, the these ad hoc 
prescriptions is one place I could grow, but really I need to do like one hour fulfillment for those, which Amazon did not announce here. Um, and then the other category is a huge chunk of prescriptions are sold without insurance. And so it se- seems like that's where Amazon's really focusing. And so that's actually not the the bread and butter of Walgreens and CVS. Uh, there are third parties that provide uh, discounts and promotions to those retail pharmacies. So these are companies you've you've now seen television ads for uh, GoodRx and um, shoot, what's the one with uh, Martin Sheen? Uh, something Care. Uh, it'll it'll come to me later, but. There's a couple companies out there that are kind of in the business of uh, aggregating coupons and uh, letting customers get a cheaper price when they have to get a prescription from Walgreens without a a prescription. And that is basically what Amazon is offering. So the while Walgreens and, and Rite Aid like took a little bit of a value hit, like who really took a value hit was GoodRx. Because it seems like Amazon's competing directly with them. Single care. Single care. Thank you. I knew it was something care. One of our uh, one of our interns ran it over to you. Yeah. So so like the the kind of market uh, whiplash action like really hit those guys. Um, and I I've seen a number of analysts that follow the industry pretty close, and they're like, you know what? There's a bunch of nuances. Um, Amazon's not going to be able to to kind of immediately impact those those businesses and the in the the trade agreements are kind of complicated. So uh I my sense is that some of those stocks have already rebounded from this initial kind of uh dip. Um so you know every so I mean kind of I, we're getting a little in the weeds but rolling all this up um there's there's a theory why everyone shouldn't be afraid of Amazon. But of course you and I know as a general premise everyone should be afraid of Amazon. Um, so this first offering may not be, you know, the one that that uh, dramatically impacts any of the existing players' businesses, but it 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 certainly reaffirms Amazon's interest and intent in disrupting this industry. Yeah, and whatever you do, if you're an executive at one of these companies, never ever say that you're going to kick Amazon's butt, or you're not worried about them, or they can't do your your business. Yeah, I, I, the exact phrase you probably shouldn't utter is Amazon's great at selling X, but our business is uniquely complicated and difficult, um, much different than all the businesses Amazon successful. And therefore, Amazon has no chance of succeeding. Yeah. Another one you probably shouldn't utter is we're 100% Amazon proof. Exactly. Um, we're Amazon's partner, not their their competitor. Uh yeah, so I feel like, uh, and besides, Amazon's never made a profit, so there's that. There, that is so true, so true. You and I have defended that uh, till the cows come home. Cool. So that's a little Amazon update, and we're we're going to keep an eye on this pharmacy very closely because we do think it's going to be this could be a billion dollar pillar if if you know this is a nibble, and you know it's kind of the second nibble after PillPack, I would kind of say. But it's clear Amazon has their sights set on this one, just general healthcare, and so does Walmart. So it's it's pretty interesting battlefield coming up. Um, let's pivot over to Shipageddon, one of our favorite topics. So um, because you and I are the Shipageddon guys, we are getting hit with all the Shipageddon news. Um, and in fact, um, if, if folks have hair dryers that are taking a while to get to them or – uh, let's see, iPads or anything you and I get to know about it. So that's that's part of the fun of being the ship again, guys. 
<laughs> I like being the ship again guy. Exactly. I do too. I've learned a ton. Um, so let's go through, we'll kind of do a lightning round here. Uh, so first thing I'll apologize to listeners. I talked about putting a model out in the last show and uh, my day job has been kind of busy. So I have not had a chance to work on that. I'm hoping to work on that this weekend. So stay tuned. Um, the speaking of Amazon, they had an article today where um, they are telling folks, and, and I think this is I, I mentioned at the top, but you know we we should say uh, it does look like we're we're having um, you know that that V or swishy shape uh, at least from a COVID perspective. So cases are hitting all times highs, hospitalizations are at all time highs. So we've got kind of the second wave of the pandemic. And I think what Amazon is saying is if they have to go back into kind of that March essentials only mode, if that collides with the holiday, it could be kind of cataclysmic. Um, so so I would say, you know, if we were keeping track of some kind of a scorecard of ship again every week since we've introduced it, I think the chances of it getting worse than you and I even predicted are increasing. Um, let me pause there and see if you agree on that. Yeah, no, totally. And I, I yeah. think to try to mitigate this, a lot of people tried to entice customers to shop early. And I, and I, my sense is that that mostly hasn't been successful. So. Yeah. So Amazon came out and said, Hey, um, you know, you got, you, you know, really, really seriously, you need to shop early this year. Cause even we won't, may not be able to get you what you need. So that was pretty interesting for them to, um, you know, being there. Of course, people kind of were like, sure. They want us to shop early. So there's, it's going to be interesting. There's going to be a segment of consumers that uh, kind of think it's fake news, if you will, and they do not take advantage of this. And, you know, the doomsday scenario is Amazon gets in, you know, swamped and has to move into essential kind of stuff. Um, stores go through shutdowns in certain areas. Um, I think like California actually is doing it. And in Chicago, aren't, are your stores shut down now? Uh, yeah, so we, we're on a advisory, which is like the softer language of a shutdown. And it basically meant stores that were previously allowed to be at 50% maximum occupancy are now at 25%. So they haven't closed them, but they've more severely constrained the traffic that's allowed in. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, one news item. And then, um, you know, several folks have reported to us drop buying products directly from Apple um, that most of those products are showing a uh, inability to get anything by Christmas. And this is before Thanksgiving started. So if anyone in your, um, you know, if any of your holiday gifts are going to be of the Apple variety, you need to really look at that closely. And then um, I've had, I had this exact same situation um, and I found, you know, you can go to Best Buy and some of the other kind of Apple outlets, if you will, and, and they they have a little bit more inventory than Apple, interestingly enough. Uh, and then a uh, friend of the show, Eric Heller, he saw an Amazon van, um, and this is kind of part of this DSP network. I don't think Amazon directly did this, but it was clearly um, a UPS van that had been painted with the Amazon Prime on it. So, so I think a very clever Amazon DSP partner um, you know, there's this problem that new vans are just all spoken for, um, for, for six months. Uh, and I know this from my day job. And so people are going out and finding anything they can. So there's the used market for delivery vehicles. Uh, these are things that are like, you know, 10 to 20 years old at this point. They're, they're, they're basically taking anything, um, you know, that runs, uh, imagine someday we'll see, some old yellow school buses painted with uh, prime paint and stuffed with packages. 
Um, and they're putting them out into the fleet, kind of a little Battlestar Galactica kind of a fleet that that's going on out there. Um, and uh, in addition to that, I'm getting a lot of interesting pictures of what I would call super janky vans that 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 are being used to deliver packages now. So, um, yeah, I saw one that was looked like it had been maybe in Beirut, uh, and it had like uh, it was part of the FedEx ground, which is a a, a 1099 network, kind of like the DSP program. And then it had like the tiniest of FedEx stickers on it. It was really funny. It was like a, a nine by nine square. And it was like FedEx ground in this like sea of dents along the side of the, the, the packet, the truck. So um, that is the Shipageddon news. Did you see anything else that was interesting? No, I think you you covered most of it. it uh, just a reminder that this is by far the most acute version of the van problem ever. But there, like a version of that plays out every holiday. Um you know, FedEx and UPS maybe aren't trying to acquire a ton of new vans, but they would like to have more vans available. So they go out and rent a bunch of vans. And then we end up with this porch piracy problem where, like, people see, uh, like, a, an unmarked rental van, like, pull up and some, you know, ununiformed guy come out with a bunch of packages. And they the, often it's a legit delivery person um, and they get reported to the police as a potential porch pirate. So I imagine all these jinky vans are going to make that even more acute. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I just want to th- plug this one side note. In my market here in Chicago, Amazon Key for Business has been going door to door to all the buildings. Um, and they're they're offering to install like this secure access system. So my I live in a little 12-unit condo building um, and we just installed Amazon Key. So now all the Amazon drivers uh, can open my front door uh, without without having to call us on the call box and drop our packages off the front door to your interior door or the, the building door, Uh building door. So they get in, okay. they can now get access to our mail room to drop off packages. Oh, neat. Which is interesting because Amazon can do it and it's all wireless and it's, it's um access controlled. So they can only deliver, you know, during appropriate hours and, and there's a log, but um, like FedEx and UPS can't do that. Hmm. So it's interesting. Yeah. I predict they will um they will start working on that. One would think. Yeah, and then um I know you're on pins and needles to jump into this. There was a data drop that you want to tell listeners about. Yeah, it's a data palooza week. I've been super excited. Um so this is a fun week for me. On Tuesday of this week, the US Department of Commerce, the US Census Bureau. Uh, drops their monthly retail sales data. So we got that data on Tuesday. And then uh, uh, once a quarter, every three months, uh, they drop this supplemental e-commerce report. So on Thursday, we got the Q3 supplemental e-commerce report. Um, So both of those are kind of fun and in general, and in particular in COVID times when things are changing so much, uh, it's super interesting to get fresh data about what's what's going on in our marketplace. Yeah, and um, if listeners are interested, we had a full show on this. Uh, the episode so number escapes me. Uh, while you're talking, I'll get one of the interns to work on it. But but yeah, so I always kind of um, because I don't live in this data like you do, I always have to go refresh myself. But but walk us through um, that data and what was exciting. Yeah. So first of all, that was episode 239, which was uh, back in the beginning of October that we had to uh, uh, Paul and Scott on from the U.S. Census Bureau to talk about how they prepare this data and kind of talk about some best practices and how to use it. 
Um, so the first data set to come out is the monthly data. And, and basically every retailer in America fills out these surveys, um, and, uh, uh, of, of what they sold in a given month and the U S census bureau aggregates it all up. Uh, and so, you know, about 19 days into November or 17 days into November, we find out what sales were like in October. Um, so retail sales in October were up 8.5% year over year. So that means, uh, October 2020 in the middle of COVID, we sold 8.5% more stuff than we did October 2019, which is, uh, very healthy. Like yeah, that, that's kind of- pretty crazy. Like last year we were going, like everyone was excited, like, Ooh, 3%. Yeehaw. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, crazy time. Exactly. And so <laughs> we can get in, in a second into why retail sales are so up. Um, there, there's some good reasons for that. COVID is, uh, stop spending in some non-retail categories and it's actually shifted that spending into retail categories. So you used to go to restaurants, which are not retail. And instead, you're going to grocery stores now, which is retail. And you used to fly in airplanes and stay in hotels, which is not retail. And instead, you're uh, uh, buying stuff to fix up your house, which is retail. Um, Some would say it, if you charted it, it looks kind of like a V-shaped recovery. Uh, yeah, unless you look at all the categories in that V. Um, and those people would now say it's a W-shaped recovery for the record because <laughs> it's uh like probably because of covid right now it's going the wrong way so we're probably going to get two v's right next to each other um but that that aside uh the so 8.8 8.5 year over year growth is awesome uh again you could take categories out uh out of that there's a category in that that's called non-store sales which is kind of our proxy for e-commerce it was up 29 percent, so almost 30 percent um which is interesting uh, if you pull some of the categories out that aren't traditionally very e-commerce-y, like if you pull, um, auto and gas out of the retail number, um, then year over year sales were even up better. They were up like 10.8%. Um, so, uh, so healthy growth. Interestingly, a lot of the reporting on the data was negative because what they mostly looked at is the change in sales from September to October. Um, and the, the growth from September to October was very modest. It was uh, 0.3%. And so a lot of people interpreted that as, um, kind of, uh, the, the recovery petering out and Scott being wrong and it not being V-shaped. Uh, but in fairness to Scott, I'm going to say, I don't actually care, um, about <laughs> month to month growth because, Every, every month has a different uh, set of shopping uh, intents attached to it. And it's 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 just like the the month to month changes just aren't traditionally that linear. And they change every year depending on the number of days, um, you know, weekend days versus weekdays and all these other factors. So it just in general, I care a lot more about seeing healthy year over year growth than I do the month to month growth. But the people that looked at the month to month growth were like, uh oh. Things are slowing down. Got it. Um, yeah, year over year is the way to go. Yeah, and so yeah, and so in general, if if you then break it down into categories, um, there were category like uh, building materials is up twenty percent uh, from the same month last year. Uh, 
e-commerce I mentioned was up 29%. Um, uh, what else is up big? Cars are up big, like 11%. Um, yeah, the auto industry is on fire right now. Yeah, well, yeah, d- there are two sides of the auto in- in- industry that you would know better than me, right? Like the guys selling vehicles are doing great. The guys selling gas are not doing well. <laughs> Yeah, people are buying cars and then promptly not driving them. Exactly. Which doesn't make a ton of sense. Exactly. Uh, well, <laughs> I need a new car that I'm not going to drive. Yeah. Um, and then uh, grocery is up like 10%. So so those are the categories that had like, like frankly, like huge tailwinds from from COVID. Um, you didn't go on a vacation and you got a stimulus check. So you you bought that new car and you're thinking your, your vacation this year is going to be a car trip, right? So you bought that new car. Um, you're not going to restaurants. So you're buying more groceries. You're, you know, you're not uh, traveling as much. So you, you improved your house, right? So those categories were the big headwinds. And then exactly as you would expect, um, there's a uh, categories that were big losers. Gas is down 14%. People aren't driving to work, right? Um, apparel is down 13%. Uh, you know, uh, people aren't wearing as much clothes. Department stores are down 12%. Um, and, uh, restaurants are down 15%. Uh, so that, that's kind of how the, the monthly data played out. Um, and I would say these were all trends that we saw in September and they continued through to October. And and so I didn't see any like dramatic changes of direction. This was, this is all pretty, um, what, what we would expect at this point. Yeah. And when I peeked at the data, one thing that jumped at me is it looked like, you know, the, the poor kind of fashion industry has just taken it on the chin and it seems like it's getting worse. Is that, is that your read on it? Like it's decelerating even more? Uh, well, so yeah, it depends on how you look. It, it got really decelerated, um, early in COVID, um, when people weren't going to stores and going to malls. Um, and then it's, it started to recover a little bit. Like there is a hypothesis that like you, you might need some warmer clothes, even if you're not going anywhere. Um, and warmer clothes are more expensive than summer clothes. And so like in general, you want, you expect to see a little bit of a lift in winter. I, I don't think we've seen a lot of that. Um, and it's, it's just this triple whammy, like apparel had a bunch of headwinds before COVID there's, they have more headwinds in COVID and the majority of places where people buy clothes separately have a bunch of headwinds from COVID. So it's a, a triple whammy against the apparel industry. And and I would say just in general, 10 years ago, you spent 6% of your income on clothes. Today, you spend 3% of your income on clothes. So it's just like, there's no, there's no good news in the apparel space. Yeah. So I'm an e-commerce guy and I like the simple version of this. So, so this data said in Q2, e-commerce grew 45%. This data drop isn't the one that really pinpoints e-commerce, right? That's the one coming. No, two days later, we had that one drop, right? So last quarter, yeah. exactly as you said, uh, 45% e-commerce growth. Um, and so this quarter was uh, lower. It was 36% e-commerce growth, 36.7%. Okay, so that has dropped. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it, so the non-store being 29 isn't just e-commerce. They do this other drop that just e-commerce, and that was higher than that 29. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And and the the that twenty nine was a monthly number. The the thirty six point seven percent is a quarterly number. Ah, okay. Good. All right. And then but that's interesting because Amazon came in at thirty seven percent. Um, but that's 
total Amazon North America was 39. Exactly. And if you took out physical stores, which I think is the best comp, they were at like 40%. Yeah, which is Q3. pretty yep. close so, to this 37%, right? Like, so yeah. they, they tracked last quarter. So Amazon last quarter was 43%, and the industry average was for the quarter was 45%. This quarter, Amazon's thirty nine percent in the U.S. and the the um or forty per your point if you want to take out the stores and the industry average is thirty seven. So they're 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 right in line and not shockingly, Amazon is a reasonable surrogate for this quarterly data. Um, now another thing you get to see in the quarterly data is what percentage of all retail e commerce is. Um, and so last quarter Q two. Retail was like uh, e-commerce was like sixteen percent of all retail, including all the categories that that U.S. Census Bureau includes in retail, which does include like gas and and uh, restaurants. Um, I'm sorry, not restaurants, but it does include gas and cars. Uh, so so last quarter it was sixteen percent of all sales. This quarter it's dropped down to fourteen percent of all sales. So what this is totally intuitive, but what clearly happened is for part of Q2, brick and mortar retail was closed or less accessible. And so e-commerce was the only alternative, right? So as we moved into Q3, people are continuing to lean on e-commerce. E-commerce is still super important. It's the fastest growing way for people to shop and new people that learned how to shop that way are continuing to use it. But people do have better access to brick and mortar stores in Q2 and so uh, in Q3 than they did in Q2. And so the, the the brick and mortar sales came back a little bit more, which means the ratio of e-commerce to brick and mortar dropped down a little bit. Got it. Does that make sense? And that's also, frankly, why, I mean, 29% is, uh, or I'm sorry, 36% is still unprecedented growth, like compared yeah. to a normal year. Um, yeah, we'll take it. Yeah. But so the reason it didn't grow quite as big is, is because you didn't have this, you know, um, hey, all the clothing stores are closed and I need socks. Yeah. So one way to read this is if we kind of draw a line from Q2 at 45% and now we have Q3 at 36%, you could say Q4 could continue to decelerate and be like, you know, low 30s, right? Um, or, you know, I guess what I've been thinking is we're going to see a pickup again where it's going to kind of, I, I think the more likely scenario is it will stay at this elevated kind of high 30s and there's a chance it could go up into the 40s like we saw in Q2, especially if we have this COVID situation. And I'm specifically talking e-commerce here. Um, does that? Do you agree with that, or do you, did you come to a different conclusion? Um, you've seen the data? It's hard because I, I'll call it like the five-factor model, right? Like, so if if uh, Q4 was just another quarter, like you'd probably predict like a linear trend here, and so the rate of growth would probably slow a little bit more. Um, but Q4 isn't a normal quarter. It's a quarter that has uh, accelerated consumption overall and accelerated spending. Um, and so in a world when a disproportionately high percentage of that spending is online, that should actually uh, accelerate the rate of e-commerce, right? So that's the, you know, the second factor. The third factor is um, that the um, the uh, fourth quarter, like, was already an uncharacteristically high quarter for e-commerce. Like, people have already learned to shop online more for gifts than they do for their day-to-day uh, -day needs. So that would, it's hard to grow from a bigger number. So the fact that Q4 is the biggest number last year means the rate should slow down a little bit. And then we have the ship again in factors. Like, do retailers have enough inventory? Do they have enough shipping capacity? Um, so you, you kind of apply all, 
you know, some some estimate for all five of those things. And like, I think we're going to end at a super healthy number. I kind of put that 33% out there as like where we'll probably land. So that's a slight deceleration from this quarter, but still, you know, very healthy by historic standards. Cool. And then uh, there's also, so on top of this data, there was a plethora of folks, um, you know, we covered Amazon in really deep dive here, but we've, we've had uh, a good, you know, more than a handful of retailers push out their results. What were some of the highlights you saw there? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a good week for earnings. Uh, so Kohl's uh, announced this week and their comps are down. Uh, it's so funny how Wall Street works, by the way, right? Like, so Kohl's like, sells apparel, apparel sucks. Uh, their comps were down 13%. But because the expectation was that they would do even worse, that was actually favorable to their stock, right? Um, e-commerce for Kohl's was up 25%, which compared to all the other categories we're talking about, isn't that healthy. But for Kohl's, um, where e-commerce has been a challenge for a variety of reasons, like that's pretty healthy growth. Um, it's a dramatic deceleration. Like Kohl's had 45% e-commerce growth in Q2, they're having 25% e-commerce growth in uh, in Q3. Um, and so that that's interesting, right? Um, the the next retailer that announced earnings this uh, week was Walgreens. Um, and they announced their earnings before this Amazon news, by the way. So I don't think this Amazon news had, I mean, it didn't have any impact on their earnings. So their US comps were up 3%. I think their global comps, their, their, uh, their parent company owns Boots in the UK. I think overall comps might have actually been down slightly or flat, but U.S. comps were up 3%, which is kind of traditional non-COVID growth. E-commerce was up 39%. And what's interesting, and Walgreens was a little bit of an outlier, their e-commerce was up 39% in in Q3. Their e-commerce was only up 23% in Q2. So they're one of the few companies we're going to be talking about today whose e-commerce is actually accelerating, which, of course, bucks the industry trend. Yeah. I wonder why. Yeah. Uh, I don't know the real answer. Part of it could be that none of these companies were e- awesome at e-commerce before COVID. Um, and so you could imagine that, like, hey, as they suddenly had a lot more demand for e-commerce, they scrambled to um, improve their e-commerce amenities and stabilize their site and do all these things and that they they got better operationally in Q3. But I don't I don't know if that's actually true. Yeah, or they rolled out curbside and that gave them an attribution or they for sure did roll out yeah. curbside in the middle of all this. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, that helps. Yeah. For or sure. uh you know, speaking from anecdotal evidence, they now have hand sanitizer. So maybe that drove it. Yeah. Uh anybody that has hand sanitizer uh you you would totally want uh to to be betting on right now um so the the next two people that do earnings were the do it yourself uh, stores Lowe's and Home Depot and reminder they're one of the huge winners in covid people people are spending way more money on their home as a result of covid and so Lowe's comps were up 30% which is nosebleed like that's amazing yeah, that's, um, that's like you spend your whole career in retail and you never have a 30 percent like comp for the 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 entire network. That's crazy. Their e-commerce was up one hundred and six percent. E-commerce is very significant in these stores, but as a percentage of total sales, it tends to be kind of low because they, they sell a lot of items that aren't that convenient to ship. 
Um, so as curbside picks up, like e-commerce gets unlocked for a lot of these guys, but 106% is way above the industry average. And then to compare that in Q2, Lowe's was 135, right? So they, they had a huge e-commerce quarter last quarter and they're, they, they had another big one, but their, their rate of acceleration has grown. Uh, but man, a lot of people walked in the store and spent a lot of money. And then Home Depot, uh, also like very impressive, like just doesn't smell quite as good as Lowe's. Uh, their U.S. comps were up 24.16%, which again is amazing. Um, unless your, your direct competitor is up 30. Um, their e-commerce for the quarter was up 80%. Um, I'm trying to remember they were a hundred percent last quarter. So same, same kind of story. They went down from hundred percent Q2 e-commerce to 80% growth Q3 e-commerce. And then they also announced, which I like to keep, keep an eye on 60% of all their e-commerce got fulfilled from the store. So either it was a store pickup or they shipped the products direct from a store. So that's the do-it-yourself guys. And then the last guys are our two big general merchants, Target and Walmart, both announced this week. Um, and let's do Walmart first. Um, Walmart had uh, very good comps on a very big number, right? So their comps were 6.4%, which doesn't sound as impressive as the home improvement companies. But, you know, if you consider that Walmart's the largest retailer in the world, like growing 6.4% is... Uh, ginormously meaningful to Walmart. Um, their Q3 e-commerce was up 79% versus they were up 97% for Q2. Um, so, so though that was widely considered like super solid, uh, numbers across the board and well above expectations for Walmart. So they had a good, uh, good earnings call. Walmart owns a separate retailer, Sam's Club, uh, which also had good comps. They were their comps were up eleven point one percent. Their the club e-commerce isn't quite as big a deal. So club e-commerce for Sam's was up forty one percent. And Sam's announced that they had ten uh, percent membership growth. As the, these club guys are all membership based, um, so ten point four percent membership growth. So so both Walmart and Sam's Clubs did well. Um, the what's interesting though is uh target which is much smaller than walmart but you know probably the most direct analogous competitor to walmart uh and target like in my mind may have the most phenomenal performance of all these companies um so their comp growth was 20.7 percent um which for uh a general merchant with uh uh, as big as they are that 20.7 percent is huge um their their digital growth uh, was 155%, which is way down from last quarter's 195%, right? So, so uh, but unlike where we were talking about these big numbers in the home improvement guys, uh, Target is one of the biggest e-commerce sites in the US. So the fact that they're like growing at this pace um, is super impressive. And of course, Target is excellent at bopus they own the the uh the shipped uh vendor and they they a lot of their e-commerce is same day at stores um so their their same day delivery um sales were up 217 percent. so people are totally taking advantage of those amenities and in to me this is an inside baseball stat but it's one of the most eye-popping things of all 95% of all of Target's orders are fulfilled from stores. So Target has amazingly said, 
we're not going to build a network of fulfillment centers and have all this fragmented inventory and rely on FedEx to get our stuff to you. We're, we're mostly going to sell our store assortment to people and make it really easy to come and get it, or we'll drive it to your house as a last mile solution. And that's working phenomenally well for Target. Very cool. Um, yeah, I imagine, you know, Bob, I'm sorry. Uh, I knew we grew 155%, but you're down from 195. We're, we're going to have to cut your bonus. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you do like after this year, probably want to retire at those places because you probably don't want to be comping against all this. Um, The I will also say just some interesting like inside stats in Target. Um, I have seen similar stats in the past uh, from Walmart. But so Target's ticket went up pretty considerably, like the average order is up 15.6 percent, which means that traffic was only up 4.5 percent. Right. So. Like people are going to the store less and they're buying more when they go to the store. Like Walmart's version of that's even more extreme. Like their traffic might actually be down and their average ticket might be even higher. Um, So Walmart and Target are beneficiaries of this, right? And for a variety of reasons. Um, At the moment, you want to be a retailer that sells a lot of different stuff because if if consumers want to visit fewer stores, they're going to go to the stores that have all the stuff they want, right? So, Target and Walmart win on assortment. You for sure want to have uh, essential goods so that you're not forced to close at any point uh, when the the uh, COVID spikes. And Target and B- Walmart both both meet that criteria. Um, and for a variety of reasons, you want to be a big company with a robust supply chain and leverage over vendors so that you can get products on your shelf to be able to sell. Um, and so. COVID is disproportionately benefiting big, healthy chains over small independent retailers and Target and Walmart are both big, healthy chains. So um, that's that's basically what's happening in unrelated news that I totally don't understand. But I'll just mention it while we're talking about Target. Target also announced that they're canceling their subscription program, which totally surprised me because like subscribe and save it at um uh Amazon is a very successful very important program and it's it uh, a bunch of vendors totally lean into it there's a lot of reasons to say that consumers um are are really interested in these auto replenishment solutions like subscriptions um and so you know you're seeing a lot of retailers that don't have robust subscription programs trying to add them um target canceled theirs and what they said was uh, customers like our same day pickup so much that what's happening is they they don't want to be on auto replenishment. They just want to know that like as soon as they realize they need something, they can get it in an hour with home delivery or store pickup. And so, I I believe Target's good at one hour delivery um, through these uh, same day services. I I totally get that, and I get like that. Therefore, their utilization of of subscription might be less than some other retailers, but I. I just I would have imagined there was still a, a loyal cohort that preferred uh, per, uh, subscription and uh, and didn't, you know, uh, it just surprised me that they had something they turned off, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe, yeah, they listen to their customers. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta, I, I mean, I, I trust them, that I they know what they're doing and their results kind of speak for themselves. So uh, but it, it, I just found it interesting. So that was kind of the the shtick on earnings. So that was a ton of super exciting stuff. Um, I did see just a couple other little news, news bits. It does always make me scratch my head though, because you know, all those were significantly greater. Well, there's this attribution problem, but I think 
I think the attribution is about the same if I remember the the guys. Um, so if all these guys grew 100%, Amazon grew in line, who grew zero or negative? I guess you have like JCPenney and Sears, like the people yeah. that are so super you notice there were no fashion. in this hap- week, there happened to yeah. be no department stores that reported, yeah. right? And so all those yeah. department stores are going to be soft. There was one apparel retailer, it was Kohl's, and they were significantly negative, right? Um, but if, if this had been an earnings week where we had 20 apparel retailers, um, like my, you know, uh, you, you would have expected the, uh, all or the vast majority of them to have negative comps, right? Um, so we do have Gap, I think, is coming up next week. Like that will be an interesting one to watch from an apparel standpoint. Um, we also have uh, Best Buy and Dick's. And they're going to be more interesting to me because I can like I, uh, I, I'm, I'm sure the expectation is the gap's going to have pretty severely negative comps. Um, Best Buy and Dick's are both like so. So uh, sporting goods stores are kind of another beneficiary of COVID. So you'd expect them to have really good comp. And slightly surprisingly, um, electronics has been mostly like a, a minor beneficiary of COVID. So it's been a bump, but not a very big one. Yeah. Um, so a couple of things. So we've got some new iPhones so that could surprise us. And then the gaming consoles, I don't know if you track this, but the, the new Xbox and the PlayStation are sold out everywhere. And there's a f- just unmitigated frenzy for those. Unlike, I, I don't think I can remember maybe when the Wii came out, it was like this, but I, I haven't seen quite such a frenzy for those two units as we're seeing right now. So the problem is no one has them, so, so I don't know if they're going to yeah. be able to be in your your sales. Well, that's the I, like, I'm assuming they wouldn't be in Q3 comps anyway. I'm assuming like like they're like even if you did took a pre order in Q3, I don't think you recognize the revenue until you can fulfill it. Yeah, the iPhone Pro was right. Yeah, 12 Pro. Uh, some, a, a subset of the Apple stuff started to be in Q3, but the bulk of it's going to be in Q4. Um, the the video game platforms are going to be in Q4. I totally agree. Like like there's a lot more um, tailwindy stuff for consumer electronics in Q4. Just like there was a lot of tailwindy stuff for electronics in the very beginning of Q2. Like when you first went home, everybody upgraded their home office, right? So everyone bought a monitor and they bought a laptop for their kid to do school at home. And, you know, um, so there was this COVID spike for electronics. It just wasn't sustained. You didn't just, you just... You didn't keep buying new electronics over the last six months. And per your point, uh, there's going to be a lot of people like, you know, treating themselves Q4. And so, you know, I it, it won't surprise me at all if if uh, Best Buy has a good Q4. But I'm kind of not expecting them to have a very spectacular Q3. But I'm not a stock analyst, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah, be interesting to keep an eye on it. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, any of that surprise you, Scott, or do you, you feel like, uh, these numbers are just like so high. It makes me a little suspicious. Like, you know, I, I think, so I think Walmart continues to benefit from grocery. Um, Target doesn't sell that much grocery, do they? It's they are leaning pretty, pretty heavily into grocery. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 they're not as good at grocery as Walmart, but it's a much more meaningful part than it was even six months ago. Yeah, I wish we could peer inside of there and get like, you know, kind of like the department of the the Census Bureau level of category data. I think what we'd find is it's kind of interesting, but yeah. yeah. And sorry, I should say one side note on Target. Well, they they're selling a lot of grocery and they've they've dramatically improved their merchandising and offering in grocery. What they haven't had until just now is 
e-commerce for grocery. So all that curbside pickup and same day stuff, it has not has been for general merchandise, not fresh. And like, I think only as of like four weeks ago, are they now starting to really sell fresh through that stuff? So I suspect that'll be another, another uh, bump for them when they get that up to scale. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch the the apparel guys. You know, I think that's where we're going to see the big losses coming from, and and you know, I think they're they're suffering, and we'll, we'll see how that does. And further closings are not going to do well for them. Yeah, no, I agree. I think the department store guys and the apparel guys, it's it's going to be pretty rough. Um, uh, and then uh, like just two slight news tidbits, I'll just throw out there for those of you that want to go uh, read up on your own. That I just thought inter- were interesting. One of the trends we, I talk a lot about is um, brands going direct. So, so you know, major uh, well-known brands going direct to consumer. We've talked about PepsiCo has a direct to consumer site. Uh, so fun fact there, it seems like they've refreshed that site. So snacks.com uh, seems like it has a lot of, of new content. Um, but the new one this week is Coors Molson launched a direct to consumer site and uh Nobody would have had that on their bingo card, right? Like uh, delivering alcohol, like a a major brewery delivering alcohol to home, um, like is a pretty interesting pilot that I hadn't heard a lot of people talking about. Now, it's in UK. It's called Revel. I don't know a ton about it, but that I just that was an interesting thing that I have on my my notes to learn more about. And then obviously, I follow digital grocery a lot. It's super important trend in this whole COVID thing. Um, Ahold uh, just bought Fresh Direct, which is a, a native digital grocer in uh, New York. And it's it's super interesting to me because Fresh Direct is a, a I hold them very high regard. They're they're a small grocer that was born digital. I would argue they they have a much m- more mature, richer digital grocery shopping experience than almost anyone in the U.S. because they've been doing it better and longer. But their their problem is scale like they they don't serve a lot of customers, you know, they're in, they're in one geography. Um, a hold, uh, is a, a much larger global grocer, but has kind of a modest footprint of stores in the U S and until recently a hold owned like the best fresh direct competitor, which would have been Peapod here in Chicago. And so what's, what's odd to me is like the month before COVID a hold, uh, got, uh, divested them, shut down Peapod. Wow. Which was bad timing. But and now, you know, fast forward six months, they're buying something that looks like a, a better version of Peapod, uh, although smaller market um, in, in Fresh Direct. So that's super interesting. Uh, the one thing I'd say is I, I think it was a real miss from some of the bigger, more traditional grocers. They should have bought Fresh Direct as an aqua hire because they, you know, Kroger, Walmart and Target all need to learn how to sell better, better groceries online. Uh, but so that that's interesting little acquisition in the space. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Scott, I feel like uh, we we finished a little early. Uh, so as a Thanksgiving treat, I think this is the last show we're going to record before Thanksgiving. Um, I thought as a Thanksgiving uh, treat that we might uh, finish up a little early and give our listeners back some some free time to uh, plan their Thanksgiving meals. Yeah, yeah. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. We are thankful for our listeners uh, listening to the show and giving us all the feedback that we get. And we really appreciate uh, our little community here on the Jason Scott Show and hope everyone has a safe, restful and fulfilling and filling Thanksgiving.
Yeah, I will echo all those sentiments. Uh, I hope everyone has an awesome Thanksgiving uh, and stay safe. And until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 